Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. I was going to say, like, the whole point I'm of Star a, Wars I'm is to get him to shoot those friggin' things to kill the Death Star. You're talking about the whole design of that movie. I'm a little... Things didn't go the way you I'm thought. No, I'm just a little... <laughs> Stallone's playing soccer? Yeah. What's going on? I'm I, watching this. I saw that at a very young age, and I didn't... You're coming at me hard. I'm not coming, You're at, coming hard. at Yeah, you are. I just don't believe her choices. Her choices are ridiculous. Give yeah. me ever. Give we me an emotion. Hi, I'm Mike Butler. And I'm Mike Field. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that, for a variety of reasons, was forgotten by audiences. Whether it be because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the film simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or maybe don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. How are you, Mike? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing okay. Just okay. Well, in 48 hours, I have to go back to prison. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying you're Eddie Murphy in this Eddie scenario? Murphy, yes. Oh, Roxanne. No, oh, wonderful. <laughs> Renegade cop Jack Cates pulls bank robber Reggie Hammond from a federal prison on a 48-hour leave to help him capture Hammond's old partner, Albert Gans. Having escaped from a prison work crew, Gans is on a killing spree around San Francisco on the trail of half a million dollars that went missing after one of his robberies. The cocky Reggie knows where the money is, but spars with the hot-headed Jack as he enjoys his temporary freedom. This is 48 Hours. Woo! Why are you wooing? Eh. No woos. <laughs> no woos. All right, 48 Hours, buddy cop comedy. Here we go. Runtime of 96 minutes. It's rated R. Obviously, production budget of $12 million. It came out on December 10th, 1982. That is a Friday, so a December release. Opening weekend, it did $4.3 million. Domestic worldwide is the same, but get ready because it's a hit. $78.9 million. That's a lot back then. A whole lot. So much of a hit that it spawned a sequel, another 48 hours. Yeah, but like way later. Well, I didn't realize how long that, of a gap there was between both movies. Oh, well, we'll get to that. Production company was Lawrence Gordon Productions and distributed by Paramount Pictures. So I told you it came out on the 10th of December. It went up against The Toy and Airplane 2, the sequel. And you also had a limited release that week of Sophie's Choice, Gandhi, and The Verdict. That's a heck of a weekend to open up against. Do we ever talk about Airplane 2? Do you like Airplane 2? Yeah. Okay. Who doesn't? Somebody doesn't like Airplane 2, the sequel? Uh, a decent amount of people don't think it's very good. Why? Or as good. Well, well okay, but why? They no. just don't think the jokes land, I guess. Well, they're wrong. Who's this decent amount of people? I just, stop no, hanging I out with them. I just know of other people that don't like no. it as much. Uh, Airplane 2 is funny. I like Airplane 2 a lot. That's why I never yeah, got no, it. Yeah, no, I, I pretty much, I would, I like all those, like Airplane, Airplane 2, uh, top, top Secret. I love Top Secret. Hot Shots. Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part 2 are, those. I could understand where people were like, yeah, they're okay. They're not, they're they're not funny. as funny. Yeah. Yeah. I always think Top Secret gets a. Uh, gets uh, gets the shaft a lot. I mean, I love Airplane, but Top Secret's pretty much on par with Airplane. I've only seen Top Secret once, so I have to watch that again. There are two scenes in Top Secret. Now we're now we're off the rails. There are two <laughs> scenes in Top Secret where it's amazing what they do. Like the scene in the library with Peter Cushing, mm -hmm. uh, where they're they're basically they did the scene backwards, but 
they recorded it. So it looks like they're moving forward, but they right. actually acted the scene backwards, In which reverse, is ridiculous. Yeah. And it's such a long scene. It's so awesome. And then there's a scene where he goes into the lake and they have the huge bar fight under on the, on the bottom of the lake uh, right, bed. Yeah. I'm like, that's ridiculously good. And it's like, this is like, you, you know, people are so easy to like chalk it up. Like, ah, it's just a stupid comedy. But like what went into those scenes is oh, fantastic. Yeah. So anyways, that's my take on top secret. Okay. So the week after <laughs> on the 17th of December, you had best friends, Tootsie, the dark crystal trail of the pink Panther, honky tonk, man, six weeks and the wide release of the verdict. So the verdict was all over that. And then the you didn't have the week before because uh, maybe a movies didn't come out the week before, but I want to say that this is the week of Thanksgiving, the nineteenth of November. Okay, you had the Empire Strikes Back as a re-release, Heidi song, The Last Unicorn, and Still of the Night. So basically, the tenth opening week of forty hours was huge. Uh, that's a lot of movies, a lot of good movies. Right, Forty Eight Hours was directed by Walter Hill, who's done Last Man Standing, The Warriors, Red Heat, and a movie we did for Forgotten February, Trespass. Uh, so check that out at Panacama. Yeah, cross promotion. <laughs> written by Hill also did a write on it, rewrite on it as well. or wrote part of the script. He has also written alien three blue city and the 1972 movie, the getaway Roger Spottiswood uh, wrote on this is actually the only, really the only writing credit of his. He's mainly a director. He's directing two films that we did on the, on pod, the podcast shoot to kill and the best of times, but he also has done turn, which we'll never watch again. Uh, <laughs> also written by Larry Gross and Stephen E. D'Souza. Gross has done True Crime, Prozac Nation, We Don't Live Here Anymore. And D'Souza's done Commando, Die Hard, and Hudson Hawk. He's a pretty big action writer from the 80s. Um, this also has a ghostwriter of Tracy Keenan Wynn. Uh, he also worked on the script. He's done The Longest Yard, The Deep, and The Drowning Pool, to name a few. Our cinematographer was Rick Waite, who's done Footloose, Cobra, and Adventures in Babysitting, to name a few. Composer was James Horner, who obviously is well-decorated Academy Award nominee and winner. He won for Titanic. Yeah, he was nominated for Braveheart and Field of Dreams, to name a few. Edited by Freeman A. Davies, Mark Warner, and Billy Weber. Uh, Davies is not undisputed. The Horse Whisperer and Brewster's Millions. Warner was nominated for an Oscar for Driving Miss Daisy. He's also done Weird Science and The Devil's Advocate. And Weber was nominated for two Oscars, one for Top Gun and the other for The Thin Red Line. He's also done The Tree of Life. Produced by Lawrence Gordon and Joel Silver. Lawrence Gordon does Feel the Dreams. I uh, was nominated for Feel the Dreams. He's done Watchmen and Predator. He's done a bunch of stuff. Uh, Silver has also done a bunch of stuff, but he probably will not be doing a bunch of stuff uh, anymore. He's done The Nice Guys, Lethal Weapon, Dyer. He was canceled. Oh, was uh, he? Yeah, yeah. I didn't even know about he that. He had some. Uh, he's had some serious, uh, in the serious, uh, yeah, uh, assault issues and uh, sexual harassment issues. So, what are you gonna do? Nick Nolte plays Jack Cates. He's nominated for three Oscars: Warrior, Affliction, and The Prince of Tides. Eddie Murphy. Plays Reggie Hammond. This is obviously Eddie Murphy's debut film. Uh, he is nominated for an Oscar for Dreamgirls. He's also been in Bowfinger, Beverly Hills Cop, all of them. And <laughs> if you don't know who Eddie Murphy is, look him up. Uh, he's, he's pretty cool. Annette O'Toole as Elaine. She was nominated for an Oscar for writing a song for the movie A Mighty Wind. Um, she's also in the TV show Virgin River. That's new. And she's also in Superman 3, uh, the one that nobody likes. So actually, Superman 4 is the one that nobody likes. And uh, Superman Connection, she was what most people my age know her as is Martha Kent on Smallville. There you go. Nice job, Butler. Thanks. James Remar as Gans. He's in the TV show Dexter. He plays his father. Uh, he's also in the Phantom episode we did. Uh, and he did Django Unchained as well. 
Sonny Latham or Latham Landham. Sonny Landham, excuse me, as Billy Bear. As soon as I saw him on screen, I was like, that's the guy from Predator. Yep. <laughs> so he's in Predator, Firewalker, and Action Jackson. Frank McRae as Hayden. Uh, he's in Batteries Not Included, Red Dawn, and you probably recognize him from Last Action Hero. He's playing basically the same character, and that's another movie we that's did on our podcast. Did. Yep. David Patrick Kelly as Luther. Uh, he's in Dreamscape, Commando. He's the guy that uh, he, he's Sully from it's Commando. my bad arm, Sully. <laughs> you probably should let go. <laughs> I lied. I lied. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> and he's also in The Crow. Uh, Brian James as Keo, uh, who's in Blade Runner, The Fifth Element, and Striking Distance. And then you had a couple of like cameos, but people, they're small parts, parts, but they obviously are familiar. Jonathan Banks is Algren with hair, with hair. He's from, he's obviously Mike from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. You had Peter Jason as the cowboy bartender who we know him from Prince of Darkness and Vampires mm-hmm. in a lot of Carpenter films. Butler, I'll let you take the next one. The last one, because I know you know who I'm talking Denise about. Denise Crosby. That's Tasha Yar, yo. <laughs> <laughs> she plays Sally. I, you know, what's funny is I didn't. I couldn't recognize her. I'm like, who is this? Who is this? And I, when I started doing the notes, oh, then really? I was like, as soon as the close up came, I, I was like, it's Tasha. Yar. I was like, I know her. I know her. It was just almost like time and place. She's just got like not 90. Well, she has long hair. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 I don't, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if that was her nude. It might've been a stunt double. towards. You, the they never the show her face. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess in the TV version, she's closed. So maybe it is her. Obviously, kind of yeah. <laughs> well, I thought it was interesting that they don't just cut it. Right. They just film two versions of it. Right. Uh, so yeah, so like I said, this is a debut feature film for Eddie Murphy. It's also a debut for Joel Silver for being a full producer. But this movie basically made Eddie Murphy a star, set him on his way. What's funny is Butler and I had a conversation before we recorded this episode, and we have both had the same same take. Was we were both really positive we saw this film, and as we both watched it, we both came to the same conclusion that we've never watched this film. I, I don't think I've watched this film. Yeah. Either. And I'm, like I said, I said to him, like, we must've just seen a bunch of clips at some point throughout our life. And we're like, Oh, we watched it. And yeah. I, I just, <laughs> to the point, like I watched this. And then the next night I watched another 48 hours. Cause I wanted to watch the sequel. Cause I, I knew I never saw another 48. I hours. might watch that tonight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we could talk about that. I got some notes on another 48 hours, but we're talking about 48 hours. We didn't, what we didn't talk about Butler is if you liked it or not. So let's hear it. I, I did like it. Okay. I, it was not what I expected because, again, I didn't remember not remembering that I saw this film. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought it was definitely more of a comedy. And I mean, it's a buddy cop film, but it's not a comedy. It's more in terms of uh, along the line of Lethal Weapon than it is Beverly Hills Cop. Okay. It's a lot more action. It's a lot more. It's, a, it's very serious. The crime is serious. James Remar's character is a serious like Gans is a bad, bad guy. He's serious, but I don't know how serious you can be with a knitted uh, tank, tank top. top. <laughs> you can be super 80s serious. But I also, I get the, one of the notes I had about uh, his character, James Remar, was that he would uh, not go to sleep. I was that to make him look? To look, to, yeah. He, he, he wouldn't go to sleep so that he would look just kind of just whacked out when they start shooting a scene. So I don't know. I don't know. I know you sometimes don't like that when actors start getting really well, I think that's fine because he's yeah. not like hurting anybody or he's not going like too far. Right. Just, okay. I want to look tired and stressed out. Right. I mean, that's fine. It's when you go like off the deep end. You start murdering people. Yeah. I do uh, a bunch of blow to make it look like I have a character that did blow. It's like, all right. Come well, on. Nick Nolte to get into his would to get into his oh, role. Note is stupid. Whoa. I know what you're about to say. <laughs> Jeez, man. All right. I, I'm about to say. Oh, so he spent several weeks submerging himself in the role of Jack Case by interviewing San Francisco police officers. And <laughs> this is the note that Butler hates eating foods. He felt fitting to the character. He just wanted to eat junk food. So he ate junk food. Well, what's funny is that he's 
relatively thin in this film, thin-ish. But in the second film, he's still he's overweight because he had gained weight from the movie Q and A, mm. so he didn't really lose it yet for the another forty eight hours. So yeah, but yeah, but yeah, I, I was just like eating f- foods, fitting for what foods? I'm doing it for my character. The hoagie is because you wanted the hoagie, dude. Well, it's okay. I, I don't know what movie. <laughs> what, felt, what movie foods is he in? Special police foods. <laughs> <laughs> he's chewing cigarettes and drinking coffee. Now you mentioned that this is a buddy comedy, buddy cop movie. But they're not really cops and they don't like each other for most of them. But this is often credited as being the first quote unquote buddy cop film, even though uh, a movie in 1974 came out called Freebie and the Bean, which is a buddy cop movie. This movie is considered to be the first of what ends up becoming Lethal Weapon, all these films that came out. And you can see a lot of the nuts and bolts of that kind of film in in here as well. Right. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean. There's not a lot of action. There's fights. Like the gunfight in the hotel rooms is hotel is action. Right. But and then the stuff in the honky tonk bar is really just fight. And then they have a huge fight, which is just another fight. A brawl. Yeah. And there's a bus scene. Right. Okay. The, the bus scene's scene. a good scene. Yeah. Yeah. What, yes. Yeah. But here's my thing with the bus scene, because what ends up happening is they basically Hammond has stolen money f- with Gans. Gans went to jail. Hammond went to jail. Hammond all, hid the money. Yep. You're all in jail. Gans is getting out. Gans escapes and he wants the money. So Hammond has let his buddy Luther knows where the money is. So Gans goes and kidnaps Luther's girlfriend so that Luther will go get the money for him. And you know, they end up doing a switch at the end of trying to do a trade on the bus. That's what ends up happening. But with that busing, like, I don't know how they knew they were on the bus. They just suddenly pull out and they're behind the bus. Uh, oh yeah. Uh, Kate's and Hammond. So I'm like, how do you know they're on the bus? And there's this huge gunfight between them and the bus uh, in downtown San Francisco. Clearly roads are blocked off so they can shoot this part. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there, I mean, there's some decent action, but it's not, I wouldn't say it's like a diehard lethal weapon style action that really ratcheted up. This is well, more, again, you got to keep stepping up as you go. That's why sure. this is the proto, the proto lethal weapon kind of <laughs> like Prometheus. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is that weird green. This movie is the weird gray green alien that pops up at the end instead of the regular one. <laughs> I guess I'm going to get into the stuff that I know we're going to talk about eventually. So let's get into it now. Okay. Uh, there's definitely racial terms that are used in this movie. Uh, they use the N word a couple of times. Frank McRae, who is African-American also uses the N word when he refers to Reggie Hammond. I kind of thought that was kind of funny, but yeah, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, here's that's the, how it was played for, you know, yeah. Nick, uh, Jack Case, a Nick Nolte character is constantly making racial slurs at Hammond and they're, and Hammond, they're both fighting. They're both yelling right. at each other. They're both, and then 50 minutes in the movie, yeah. before the climax, Jack Case, Nolte's character, says to him, he's like, you know, I don't mean any of the stuff that I was saying. And he actually says the words again. I don't mean any of that stuff I was saying. I'm just trying to keep you down because that's the he's a con. My job. Keep you doing a yeah. job. Keep making sure that you don't. Because basically, Reggie Hammond is got six months left to go on his prison sentence. And he's given he's given to Jack Case has him 48 in, hours, has 48 hours so to help him. So he's still in jail, technically. But he he, you know, Kate's is. um is chaperone, right? Basically. So Kate is always putting them down. He's always calling them names. He's always a convict. He's convict a bunch of times, and and obviously turns into racial slurs. And even some of the other cops, and turns like I said, McCray. But he tells him like, I don't mean any of that. It's just I'm trying. I'm trying to keep you down. I'm just trying to make sure that you know you don't do anything. Right. Don't try to run. Um. 
And I generally, when we were doing the notes, I didn't see anything about people who went back saying like, it doesn't, it's, you know, it's outdated. It's outmoded. It doesn't fit. Um, and I don't believe that. I don't, I think that for the, I, I understand the sensibility of why Jack Cates was doing that and that kind of, and their back and forth. Sure. Um, could that movie be made now? No. Um, because it's just modern sensibilities wouldn't allow it uh, in terms of just people would just be too sensitive to that. And that's fine. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but I think that I, I think that it was a genuine way that people speak with each other. And mind you, there could there a lot of their dialogue was improvised. That's why well, Walter, yeah. Walter Hill allowed them to improvise. I mean, much of the film wasn't even written. Sure. Written and granted, Eddie Murphy is his first big film. I'm, although Eddie Murphy did change the name of the character because he didn't. They, the original name of the character was Willis Bell. And he was like, it just felt like a generic uh, black Hollywood black name. guy. Name yeah. Ass. And he wanted to change that. Uh, so he, you know, so he could come in with some, not demands, but like some oh, notes, right? Yeah, some notes, but you know, and I'm sure he, you know, if he didn't like what was going on within the script, I mean, it's his first big film. I'm sure he's not going to say something in terms of like, but he also is a big comedy star. So who knows? Right. Um, what did you think of all that? I thought it worked again. It works for the time. Like you said, you can't, you can't make that now. Um, but at the time, absolutely. It wouldn't have felt authentic if, you know. The cops weren't calling him names, thinking those things. That's exactly what they would think back then. Yeah. You know, this is a time of rampant racism. This is only the early 80s. And there's also some also, there's also uh, some homophobic slurs in there, too. Like when they get Luther and oh, he starts yelling at him and stuff like that. When Reggie's in. The yeah, there's all that stuff. stuff. Yeah. But like it's the 80s and that's how people were. And but also beyond that, that's not an excuse, but that's just what it is. But beyond that. The relationship between criminals and police are is extremely adversarial, but oh, to the yeah. point where also there's some kind of camaraderie in terms of when you see repeat offenders and there is a way they all talk to each other because they're also like to quote a, a couple of they're in the slop. What police officers, especially in a, a city environment, what they have to witness and be up against all every yeah. single day. And we complain about when we work at a movie theater dealing with customers. Yeah. We're just dealing with annoying people. These people. Right. Police officers are dealing with, you know, not good people at all. I so I understand all of that. So I, sure. I and it's not my place to judge any of that. But what I'm saying is the dialogue in this movie felt authentic for the time. It also feels authentic for the characters, and they address it in terms of when Kate tells him, "Right, this yeah, is yeah. why I said it." Yeah. And so then yeah. Reggie responds with like, "Not all of it was your job," or something like that. Right. Basically. And like, yeah, basically, it all yeah. comes from somewhere. Exactly. And you know, so it's not. It's it's basically like there's no solution. You know, it is what it is. But, you know, don't tell me this. You know, don't pretend it's one thing and not another. And they don't right. like each other throughout the movie. Right. Like there, there is some kind of respect towards the end, but they're not going to be buddies after this. And when you see another four hours, you'll say. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, I know I, I wanted to bring that up. I wanted to talk about it a little bit. If you didn't have any of that stuff, I don't think the movie works. Especially when he goes into the honky tonk bar. And he oh, starts, no, that, that, yeah. that scene is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> but again, you can't do that. But yeah, you absolutely. can't do it the way it's done now. That doesn't mean necessarily that you can't do it and it still works True, yeah. for, for modern art and it's still funny. Um, you know, I, I think when you're when you play it safe with humor, I think you miss opportunities to be truly great. Sure. I think you need to. I think humor needs to take chances. Common needs to take chances. And I think that. It, but again, I've said it before. If you're not willing to do that, that's completely fine. And I, you know, either way works for me. Um, but you know, you are towing the line of, of kind of just being one of the pack mediocre yeah. and you're not going to stand out. If you want to truly stand out and you want to truly be something great, you have to take chances. 
Um, to that point, the Safdie brothers said in 2017 that they were going to helm a remake and co-write the script with stand-up comedian Jared uh, Karmacek. I'm sorry if I said that name wrong. I didn't look that up. Uh, but then in 2019, they stated that they reworked the script into a separate original idea. So they didn't even do it. They were going to. They started and they didn't do it. The, I don't know if that I, if that reworked script is going to be a movie coming up. I don't know. All I know that they did was uh, the an Adam Sandler one with the uh, uncut gems. I doubt that was it, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> that would be in a very different movie. Yes, exactly. So I don't even know if that, if that's ever going to come down the pipe or, or, or whatever, whatever that's going to come next. Um, so kind of give me some other stuff you like Butler. Well, one of the things I noticed was how close the score was to the commando score. I know well, some of the notes it. say they reused it, but it is slightly reworked because it's well, not quite the exact same. Well, that's, that's, so it's definitely a reworked score. But when they're chasing Sully, I, even before I read the note about it, I was thinking, Oh my God, that's the same score from when he chases yeah. Sully in commando. John Williams has been doing that for years. I understand that. I thought that was really interesting. It was the exact same kind of like, bow, 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 Oh yeah. Bow. I was like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. There's only so many notes in the world. Uh, the other thing, uh, is the split diopters. Did you notice there were two split diopters? One is when Nolte is in the foreground and the hotel clerk is on the phone right before the shootout. Mm -hmm. Uh, that is a split diopter. The other time is right before they go into the honky tonk bar. There's a split diopter with Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte are both in focus in the frame mm. in the car at the same time, talking to each other while looking at the bar. Nice. Split diopters. That, it's in my brain now, man. It's in my brain now. <laughs> I'm glad I could help. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, there it is. <laughs> Why is that shot blurry around him? Oh, there we go. <laughs> Let's talk about the honky tonk bar. What'd you like about it? Oh, my about God. Scene. Bullshit. You too fucking stupid to have a job. <laughs> I laughed so hard at that. It's my tax return. <laughs> I just I thought it was all really, really great. I thought. I thought he like that was really a great scene. It's Eddie Murphy. That really shows off Eddie yeah. Murphy, especially as his debut thing. I was right. like, this is great. This is perfect to Eddie Murphy. I think he's playing it tough in a way that you don't usually see him, which is interesting. He's not, him. which I like. He's not like he leans on the side of realism than comedy. I mean, yeah. he gets Beverly Hills Cop is when he starts just getting really comedic. But in Beverly Hills Cop, there's moments when he gets serious and you're oh, like, yeah, okay. He's cop and has to do right. Stuff. Yeah. But this movie was more serious than anything, which I appreciated. Because at the beginning, I was like, obviously he's singing Roxanne. Yeah. But then his entire conversation with Nolte is dead serious. Right. When he no tries, jokes. Yeah. I was yeah. like, holy shit, they introduced Eddie. And it takes a good half hour to introduce him. Mm -hmm. And then when you do it, there's no jokes there. Right. This is really the first scene where there's a lot of, of kind of comedy coming out, even mm -hmm. though, like you said, it's, it's realistic and it's, right. it works. So Paramount execs were concerned that the movie was too violent for a comedy and the hotel shooter was their major gripe. And they told Walter Hill that he'd never work for Paramount again, and but he made another, but he did for another 48 hours. It's like, <laughs> come on. So they were concerned. They didn't, they actually thought that I think I didn't write it down, but I remember reading a note that they were going to fire Murphy because they didn't think he was funny enough. And he only found out after. Yeah. Fact, Nolte yeah. and Hill went to them and said, no, don't absolutely. You know, which is great. You know, did you know that this movie was designed to be a vehicle for Clint Eastwood? Did I saw that, that Clint Eastwood wanted to play convicts. He wanted to he wanted convict. to play the bad guy. He wanted to play the convict, and so therefore he, he said no. And then he went off to do Escape from Alcatraz. But it would have been Clint Eastwood, and they were looking at Richard Pryor as the 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 second lead. Which I'm, I was like, I don't kind of like to see that. I don't know if Richard Pryor would play it serious though. But who no, knows? he he. I don't think so either. But you never know, right? 
But I think that would have been an interesting team. Yeah, but this was made to be. This was made made to happen for Murphy to become big. Uh, so one of the things I know, I'm going to give you some another 48 hours. Murphy's paycheck, Eddie Murphy's paycheck for this one was $450,000. Nolte's paycheck was $1 million. So then they did that. And this was shot. It came out in 82. So it was shot probably early 82, late 80, maybe 81. I think it was shot early 82. Sure. Then they do another 48 hours. This came out in 1990. Uh, so probably shot 89. And Eddie Murphy's uh star was you know huge whereas his paycheck in the second film was seven million dollars and he had top billing now because nolte had top billing in 48 hours and nolte's paycheck was three million so it just tells you how big, big eddie, eddie murphy, murphy got, got between those two those two roles which is which is pretty cool and we've talked about on the podcast before about how much of a monster Beverly Hills Cop was in the box office. Uh, every time we do a movie that's around it. Yeah. Number one movie. Monster. For like that entire yeah. year. Uh, and that's extremely <laughs> impressive. And extreme, you know, you forget. You, I mean, oh, he star rose and rose and it didn't fall until Pluto Nash. Like it was just yeah. up and then he got older and he had he had his family and he and you forget he's 60 years old now. Right. But you know, I mean, I saw coming to America. It was good to see him again in that. But if you really want to see something that's, you know. Not something that's really good that he's done recently. It's the um blanking on the name of it. Um Dolomite is my name. Yes, Dolomite yeah. is my name. He's really good in that. And that's a that's a good movie. And he's really funny in that. That's a Netflix film, Butler. So I'm usually hate Netflix films. But it, it, that was that like, was one that they bought. That and he's a little serious in that, but it's like it, it was just like, oh man, Eddie Murphy, awesome. So that was a good one. Um, but yeah, you know, after this, he he started doing family friendly stuff. He started doing like Dr. Doolittle, which is good, but like right. then, you know. Uh, and then when he did the the what was the one he did where he's uh, the clumps was it the called the clumps or what was it called it was nutty professor nutty professor well, that was okay the first one was good first one's good second nutty, one's okay when he clumps rips when he rips the comedian in nutty professor that's just that's like a scene you need to watch on YouTube like, you gotta watch this because <laughs> it is awesome and that's Dave Chappelle which is great too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyways all right so you know back to the movie <laughs> <laughs> so we talked about this last week in terms of just cinematography with Gordon Willis for the paper chase. So Rick Waite used Kodak 93, mm-hmm. a high speed film for nighttime interior shots, which minimized lighting setups and allow production to work more quickly. So they were able to kind of like now with video, you know, cut and go, let's go. Yep. You know, like, so I thought that was interesting and that probably works well for a movie where you have two guys improvising and uh, you know, you just kind of want to get as much as you can. Well, it also helps with the lighting. Yes, um, absolutely. Well, you don't have to. Yeah. I love the lighting at the end of this film. Mm-hmm. I think the, the the alleyway with the neons is great with the water underneath it. That's something I've always wanted to shoot. Uh, I've, I have written is like this short that's like a chase in the 80s. And it's done in like alleyways with neon signs because I love the way that that looks and lights everything up. Nice. And like when I was watching it in 48 hours, I was like, that, that's <laughs> what I want. I thought that looks, well, I think that, that looks great. You have to put that in your lookbook. So you have to, that's what you do when you want to. Find a, there's there's one online that's actually one made by a cinematographer. Yeah, I can't remember the name. I have well, a book when marked. you're when you're designing like your story, you now what they this is what screenwriters have to do now. Which oh, they have to sell that as part they of the have, package. They, they they ask you for a pitch book or a lookbook. So like, well, what's it going to look like? It's like I just it's like I just write the goddamn thing. Okay, you fucking do it. You producer, <laughs> why why do I have to pitch you what it's going to look like? You don't have the vision as a producer or a director or a studio exec to look like what it's going to look like. Now I have to translate my words off the page. If you can't translate the goddamn words off the page, don't be a producer. All right, I'm Damn. done. Right, right. Damn. So screw that. Come on. I have to. I mean, well, now screenwriters, not only do they get no respect, they got to spoon feed what their images look like off the page. 
I mean, come on here. Anyways. Damn. Damn nothing, dude. You know I'm right. You know I'm you, right. You want to talk to somebody, buddy? No, but you know I'm right. <laughs> Listen, don't take that shit, screenwriters. Stop moving the microphone. <laughs> I'll move the fuck what I want to move. All right. Let's talk about Nick Nolte. Because I don't know if I know. I don't know if I dig Nick Nolte's acting persona. My description of how Nick Nolte acts is like a whirlwind. Like he is just all over the place. He's chaotic. Like, I don't know if, if that was a type of person in my life. I don't know if I could talk to that person. Could you imagine working for somebody who just like is like, sometimes I think he's mumbling. Uh, here is my note on Nolte. And it's like five notes in. Nolte got a Nolte. That's it. <laughs> just Nolte got a Nolte. Honestly. He's always Nolte. Old Nolte, young Nolte. Always Nolte. I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't. Let's go, buddy. We got to go. I'm going to drink my whiskey from my flask. All right, let's go. It's pretty much. Exactly is he always grumpy in movies? Is I he, think he's just always. Can you grumpy, give me a movie man? where he's not grumpy, where mm-hmm. he's like a just like a nice dude? Oh, no, not at all. Prince of Tides. Did I see Lorenzo's oil? No, he's naughty. That's what I'm saying. I don't like he's so <laughs> like, like that's, he's a little more coherent in here than when he gets even drunker and but older. Like, but yeah, he the way he grabs papers, anything he does, it's like a complete like shit show. Like, it's just what is happening? What are you doing? Like, just calm down. That is him, man. That's him. Speaking of that, did you notice that the first the scene in the police station when they go in and after like this is like 20 minutes into the movie. And they go in the police station and you find out that this, that it's one shot. Oh, yes. I had that. I was going to bring that up. Go ahead. It's really impressive when after the initial cop shooting and he goes into the police station talking about, you know, they start at the hallway and the camera just pans as they go into the office. He's talking about, you know, the other cops are asking questions about the shootout with the cops, how they died. And, and this is Nolte. This is Nolte acting like a tornado. But go ahead. Yeah, he is completely acting like a tornado. <laughs> Everyone's got to act around him like this. <laughs> and he's moving, shuffling papers. He's getting bullets, putting bullets in his gun that he just gets. He, he gets another. Yeah, he I'll get gun. you. A gun. I'm like, where'd that gun come from? Like, it's That's just like be I got one on my desk. Gun. Here you go. Uh, we don't have to. OK, well, yeah. no, because ordinance calls at the end of the movie to try to get a gun. You'll get it back. But that whole shot is like a good three, four minutes. And it's just completely one shot going from talking about the case to the sergeant or the chief asking him to come to his office to investigating that, you know, one of the guys died, you know, finding out that Reggie is an accomplice of theirs, all that kind of stuff. All that information comes to you while the camera is just panning and it's all done in one shot and it's pandemonium in this office. Mm -hmm. And Nolte comes out and he's pandemonium. It's just so, so great. Wait, I thought I was really impressed by that. Shot. There's one guy in the background. There's cop. There's people in the background. That it's almost like they have their own little story arcs that they're doing. But there's one dude in the background. He's not a cop, but it's clear that he's trying to find a cop to talk to. Like that's his thing. I'm just watching this old guy going back and forth, trying to get the trying to get the intention of cops, and they're blowing him off. And he and he goes back and forth and back and forth. And I'm like, somebody talk to the guy. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's it's a it's a really cool scene. And like the character of Keo, who's his um partner, or not his partner, but another cop. Yeah, he doesn't pop up. He pops up like maybe like a minute and a half into it with the suitcase. Oh, I got the suitcase. Let's check it out. Oh, he's got your guns. Could you imagine how long that took to do? Because there's so many moving parts. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So impressive. And then you're watching in the movie theater and it's just like most people probably just didn't even notice. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's a a buddy cop comedy. Eddie Murphy, Nick Nolte. Oh, it's hilarious. Like there's a three minute long one shot in this movie that probably took a good few days to to rehearse. You know, it's like like we talked about Top Secret at the beginning. It's like 
you got to respect these movies that take a chance of these comedies that go for stuff like this, just for the joke or just not even just to like, well, Chill might have been like, I want to do this in one shot. Let's do it. And it's like, but it's okay. engaging. Maybe yeah, you don't yeah, realize no, totally. that it is done in one shot as a regular audience member is just like you're invested in the film, but you're watching it and you're just like, ah, oh, that was really like, I was into that. Why was I into that? Because it was one shot. Mm-hmm. They never cut to take your attention away. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. I absolutely agree. Speaking of Walter Hill, he didn't think that Stephen E. D'Souza was fast enough in his writing style and that his stuff wasn't appropriate. He contributed a bunch of gags, but not personality touches. He brought Larry Gross on, but he, Larry Gross started writing the script three weeks before production. They were writing everything up into and through production. Yep. Which goes to what we were talking about, how it's serious. It wasn't jokey. You know, they were, it was all about their personalities and not what joke can you hit. No gags. Yeah. Right. So I thought that was good too. And we obviously already talked about that. Let's talk about a no tool because she get her her stuff gets cut. She's not in a lot. I saw she's got a whole scene that's only in usually right. TV. Versions. She had a much bigger role, and uh, there's that she actually had nudity in this movie. There was a part where she was naked that was in I, magazines. Yeah, they took TV a movie. They magazines? took it and put it in magazines and and like that. But but her dress that she was wearing, like I like didn't fit. Like it was too big, or maybe the style, whatever. Halter top. I think that was just the the style because the halter top. But yeah, so so you know, he talks to her a couple of times on the phone, but like he she just basically kind of disappears because they she obviously got cut from the film. But also the girlfriend that's kidnapped, Luther's girlfriend that's kidnapped. You never Rosalie. You never find out what happens to her. Nope, they cut her completely. I mean, you don't ever you see Luther get shot. They're on the bus. They get off the bus, and then that's it. Do you see this? When he falls down, he falls down. But you don't know if he falls because the bus also takes the turn Uh, of the bump. I think there was a A gunshot. I gotta see it. You might not know. I don't know if you saw it go off, but you saw him go down. I think you saw a hole in his chest. See, I don't remember the hole in his chest. Well, he's not in the second one, so he's (laughs) there. But yeah, Rosalie just disappears from the movie completely. Yeah, so they don't really. And I don't know if that was just another cut. I mean, really, why are we going back to what, what happened to her? Because Luther's not the main character, so who cares? It's still a hostage that you had. Yeah, well, who like, cares? It's an unsolved story. Reggie didn't care about, they didn't care about it, that him them having a hostage. They were just trying to get Gantz. Oh, Re- Reggie just wanted the money. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I talked about Gross a little bit. Let me talk about his main contributions were that the idea that Reggie Hammond wanted badly to have sex after three years in prison. So that Nick Nolte having a relationship with his girlfriend that mirrored the frustration of Eddie was having and proving that improved the nuances of their relationship between Nick and his girl and his boss and the kills and all that stuff. So basically it's like, it was like Eddie Murphy was spending the entire movie just trying to get it with a woman. And like, you know, gross thought Hill has received, I guess that there was, um, there was some question we just talked about in that O'Toole and the character of Rosalie. Uh, Ned O'Toole is the character of Elaine that Walter Hill was getting a bum rap was getting issues about the women in the movie like you know he's getting a bum rap right and, and gross is one of the things I think makes 48 hours really more interesting than the average kind of movie like this is that although women play relatively small roles in the narrative they kind of haunt everyone's imagination Eh, the film really is sort of a screwball comedy about men and women trying to get together and not getting together even though it is a very conventional gangster piece people had this perception of Walter being melancholy and now that he's made this film, no one thinks he's melancholy anymore. Whatever. Um, that's uh, gross. Who wrote the movie? I don't buy that. How they this play relatively small actually- roles and they kind of haunt everyone's imagination. That's just kind of that's kind of screenwriter speak for. Oh no, like rationalizing it. Yeah, for yeah. sure. They I got mean, small roles, man. Uh, yeah. If if you just told me that it's about Eddie Murphy having sex and Nick Nolte getting it, which they have that kind of conversation, but then you kind of put uh, Jack Cates or Nick Nolte's characters' uh, relationship on the cutting room floor, mm-hmm. that doesn't help with that 
premise that it's really up against Eddie Murphy's desire to, yeah. that doesn't make any sense. So I guess Gross's big thing, big, big contribution, like I said, was Hammond wanting to have sex after three years in prison. Well, great. Well, well, well good job. I need that trim. I need that trim. Look oh, for trim. No. Trim. Oh. trim. Trim, 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 <laughs> trim. The Space Kid cartoon that he's watching, that Gans is watching in the hotel room. I don't get that. Is that real? Like, probably. Okay. But like, that's what you're watching? Maybe that's Walter Like, Hill's And you're like, you're watching it with such... Uh, consternation <laughs> and like such focus like really that's that's what you're watching like this is my jam yeah I, I was like that was like just like an, a moment where i'm like really and then the moment when he gets up and i notice that he's wearing a knitted tank top i'm like really <laughs> like come on for the rest of the movie did billy bear pull the same knife he had from predator in this movie it freaking looked like is it, that man. the same knife goes down shirtless with a knife in both movies uh, uh, it's the exact same big old bowie knife <laughs> and his name in, in his name in predator is billy <laughs> like that's, that's true yeah. in predator too so is it this i mean they made a movie where his name is billy again well, too. He, he did a movie Later yeah he, yeah then maybe that's his uh native american name i don't know i don't and he never corrected. They kept calling him Indian, 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 and he never said anything. I mean, I guess whatever. That's the time and place. I'm not gonna say anything. Yeah, yeah no, I get it. But uh, he never said. I'm, you, I would think that if he's somebody who uh, has pride in his heritage, that he would have said like, no, you know, like something like that. But whatever. But I just, I was I, like, I said, my first note was that the guy from Predator. He goes out real stupid too. Oh, he gets. Come on, Billy, don't do it. You're yeah. not gonna win, man. And he just does it anyway. I mean, I get that. Um, R- Reggie's shaking his hand. Yeah. Which is weird because like Reggie wasn't afraid to shoot against the bus or anything like that. Now all of a sudden Reggie's shaking. Yeah. Well, this idea that you know movies need to have a huge ending and action-wise, when you have an action movie, is not really in vogue at this right, time. Right. Which I kind of like because it. Yeah. You had all your stuff at the beginning. It's a quiet, more personal moment between your right. heroes and your villains. But I just think they both kind of go out kind of stupid. Because mm-hmm. then Gang gets shot in the arm and goes. Oh. You shot me? I can't believe I don't get shot. And then runs at him with like the butt of his gun, like he's gonna. Yeah. What What do you think is gonna happen? This is. We need to wrap this movie up. Yeah. Go <laughs> run at him. Go run at him with the butt of your gun. So I don't know if this note is real, but Lawrence Gordon came up with the original idea for the film. Did you read this? The, oh, the, the, pre- like the yeah politicians. The premise had that the governor of Louisiana's daughter kidnapped by a criminal who strapped dynamite to her head and threatened to blow her up in forty eight hours if the ransom was not met. The meanest cop goes to the worst prison in the state and gets out the most vicious criminal for his knowledge of the kidnapper who was his cellmate. Thank God they rewrote that if that was the that original idea. Terrible. Yeah, that sounds I need the meanest cop. I need the meanest, I need the meanest crook everywhere, anywhere. Somebody give me the meanest son of a bitch in this precinct. <laughs> and then I need the meanest son of a bitch in prison. <laughs> and you're gonna team him up. And this girl with dynamite strapped to her head, which is really dumb, is gonna have to be saved. That's Nick Nolte in the pitch meeting. <laughs> uh, anybody else got more whiskey? So this film came out, I said it came out on December 10th weekend. It was third behind the toy and the airplane to the sequel. But fourth that weekend was E.T. in its 27th week. 27th week. And fifth was Officer and a Gentleman in its 20th week. They don't last that long anymore. Oof. I know, right? Nope. And I, I want to give it a couple, one more fact. I, th- I kept talking about another 48 hours. So I want to tell you this. 48 hours had a production budget of $12 million. Another 48 hours production budget was $38 million. Opening weekend for this film was 4.3. Uh, another 24 was 19. Domestic, another 24, did $80 million. So that matches the worldwide of, of 48, 48 hours. But internationally, total, it did $153 million. Nice. It's like they were going to do a, a third one. It was going to be called Yet Another 48 Hours, but they never did. But and and 
there's other things with another 48 hours in terms of uh, a lot of people didn't like it as much, but uh, if you go to watch it, I'll tell you this. Mm-hmm. The movie was initially 145 minutes long. He cut it to 120 minutes around there. And then like a couple of weeks before they were released it, they told him, no, cut, cut it to the 25 minutes. So the movie's really cut down. Whereas the bad guy in the second film is kind of his stuff is left. Uh, his, all his motivation, his stuff, all that stuff is left on the cutting room floor. It's not a, it's not a bad movie. But I'm pretty sure there was probably a better film in there in the longer version. Right. But this film still made a lot of money. And Let's it was go for an extended hugely cut. Hugely popular. I know. I know. Revi- revive Come the on, hill Paramount cut. Plus. Revive the hill cut. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, just some facts on another four. The Hillverse lives. <laughs> yeah, right. This movie is the seventh highest grossing film of 1982. So pretty good. Pretty, pretty good. Not bad at exactly. all. Exactly. What else you got for me? I mean, we can go through some lines we liked. Go ahead. I've been in prison for three years. My dick gets hard if the wind blows. <laughs> Come in and experience some of my bullshit. I like that. Uh, and I like what he says is the end of the bar where after he shakes it up is, y'all be cool. Right on. <laughs> I thought that was really, really funny. Or the girl he's trying to get with in the club, Reggie's trying to get with in the club when he, she's all of a sudden got a man on her. When it seems like he's actually going to have a chance to go have sex. Uh, he goes up and he talks. What are you and my wife? I just paid rent. Like a pussy. And he goes up to him, but the guy's clearly way bigger than Reggie. He goes, like a pussy makes you brave, man. <laughs> and he walks away. Uh, one of the lines I didn't understand was like, you make more goddamn noise than a busted chainsaw. And I'm like, doesn't a regular chainsaw make noise? Not as much as a busted chainsaw. Yeah, apparently. That's a drunken Nick Nolte line, right? There. My, a lot of a lot of my notes about Jack Cates is like it throughout the movie is like Jack cares not for hostages. Like he's just shooting randomly. Jack doesn't put out cigarettes indoors. When he's in the prison, <laughs> just throws it. Jack doesn't need warrants. He's kicking indoors. Jack doesn't care about civil liberties. When he get when they grab one of the guys, just banging Bang them him. against the, the thing. And I was like, Jack cares not for traffic laws. Like he drives like a maniac. Yep. Oh, he drives like he acts. That's one of the things I like, though, is like he keeps getting like, I'm a cop and no one believes him. I love that because in a lot of movies, it's like you're a cop and like everyone puts their gun away. Yeah. It's like everyone like he gets brought in every single time. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Would you who? Well, I mean, who would you recommend this film for? Like anybody who likes buddy cop movies, anybody who likes 80s, 90s action movies. Okay, I I think it's. Like we said, we thought we saw it, but we didn't. Right. And I think a lot of people, maybe my age or younger or even a little older, like even you, did we see it? Yeah, or are we conflating it with all the different Beverly Hills cops kind of thrown together? Right. And like right. Knowing scenes from this and kind of going, oh, yeah, we've seen it. Right. It was never on TV when I was younger. It's not even it now. Beverly I mean, Hills it's Cop. on Paramount Plus. Right. Yeah. It was always Beverly Hills Cop. Yes. It was never 48 Hours. You know what? That make That's a good point. I think uh, Eddie Murphy's had so many other bigger hits since then, especially in the 80s, Beverly Hills Cop, Trading Places. Um, oh, yeah. Trading Places used to be on You know, like he, it, those, those movies are so much bigger in scope and they, you know, that they off, they off overshadow 48 Hours. Oh, so, sure, you know what yeah. I mean? I think people just kind of forget about that. And like Nick, Nick Nolte... We're having a little fun at Mr. Nolte's expense. He's a good actor. He's, you know, but sure. he's probably not somebody that a lot of people now are going to go back. Oh, Nick Nolte's in that. Like, because he's not in a lot of stuff. He's not in a lot of big stuff. Um, you know, he's in, a, he was in a lot of dramas. There's a lot of stuff that where he plays characters like that, where he's just off the wall, but you know, that's just him. And, sure. um, you know, I think that people aren't going to go back. They'll go back for Eddie Murphy, but they're not going to go back for Nick Nolte. 
You know what I mean? And this is the type of movie that you almost have to tell people, this is his Eddie Murphy's first big film. You need to watch this movie. He is really good in this Yeah. to get people to watch it. I don't think you're going to see, people aren't going to gravitate towards it like Beverly Hills Cop trading places. And also those movies are out all the time and people are always trying to get them. He's going to do Beverly Hills Cop 4 at some point. You know, like that's the thing. Like they're always talking about this. Film. They're always out there. I mean, people still talk about Beverly Hills Cop 3 and it's garbage, but they, you know, people like it, <laughs> but yeah, it's not good. You know, so you know, coming to America, not the first one, the second one, but the first one. Like these are all bigger hits than what you know, Forty Eight Hours was, and I think that it, it overshadows it. But Forty Eight Hours is a good movie, and I think people sure. should see it. Agreed. Nice, and that's also probably why I was forgot. <laughs> <laughs> kind of the, the we said what, why I asked the question was who would you suggest it to, but our answers are why it's forgotten. You know, there's just better, bigger films. For Eddie Murphy, which is too bad. Go watch Forty Eight Hours, and then watch another Forty Eight Hours. Come back to us. Where can they find us? <laughs> you can find us at Forgotten Cinema Podcast or ForgottenEntertainment.com because we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. While you're there, check out all the other great podcasts we have on there or videos. Uh, you can also find our podcast on everywhere you get podcasts. <laughs> Spotify, YouTube, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, all those good places. Rate, review, subscribe. It all helps our podcast grow. And let us know if you like 48 Hours or you've seen it or you just suddenly saw it uh, at Forgotten Cinema's The Lobby on Facebook, a group where we talk to you guys about what you guys think about what we think about and stuff like that. Nice. Yeah. That's what I got next week. Season 12 ends wraps up. We're going to be doing a movie from 1998 run Lola run. I don't know if anyone remembers that. I remember watching it. I loved it. And then I'm like, whatever happened? Nobody ever talks about it anymore. Hence the podcast. Run Lola run next week. She's still running to this day. uh, Honestly, I've forgotten a lot about this movie. Did I watch this movie? (laughs) It's going to be another 48 hours. I know I watched this film, but I just (laughs) forgot a lot about it. So that's next week. Uh, until then, everyone have a great week. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. Boys are back in town. <laughs> <laughs>